Welcome to the podcast stream for the sermons from Orchard Hill Church. We are so thrilled that you found us. If you have questions about our church or want to support us financially, head over to our website, ohohio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy. Our readings this week, we're in chapters four through seven of Matthew. So if you read along, this will sound familiar. If not, let me give you a quick overview of what we covered this week as we get into our sermon. Uh, Chapter four had the temptation of Jesus, then the mission of Jesus going public and the call of the first disciples. And then in chapters five through seven, we had what's famously called the Sermon on the Mount. This is this large block teaching of Jesus on the kingdom of God. Now we want to remember that Matthew wants us to see Jesus in three ways, as divine, as Emmanuel, as God with us. He wants us to see him as sent by God, that he is the Messiah, the one that God has chosen to send to lead Israel into the kingdom that is coming. And as like a new Moses for the people, that he is like Moses led the people out of enslavement and into promise. Jesus was to be seen as like in the same way, a prototype, a new Moses leading them into these four things. The Messiah would deliver people from slavery, would give a new divine teaching from God, would save the people from sin and would bring them into a new covenant, a new relationship with God. This was the expectation. And as we're reading the gospel of Matthew, we're gonna keep this in front of us as Jesus moves forward in ministry. So in chapter 4, Jesus embodies this idea of a new Moses by following the Spirit into the desert for a time of testing. Like everyone called by God in the Old Testament, Jesus is led by the Spirit into testing. But unlike anyone before him, Jesus proves utterly faithful through it. This is the mark that Jesus is unlike any leader they've ever had, that Jesus goes into the wilderness and faces temptation, and he is true. He literally quotes Deuteronomy, the covenant text of Israel, back to the devil as he stands firm on the word of God to be faithful, to take up the mission that God had given him to lead the people of God into the kingdom of God. And he comes out of the desert And it says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, this should sound familiar. This is what John the Baptist was preaching at the Jordan. But then something else happens that John was not doing. He begins to actually heal the sick and do miraculous things. The kingdom of God actually starts to break into the world. Craig Keener says this about Jesus as we, we see him coming in, he says, only those who submit to God's reign in advance will be ready when he comes to rule. Only who, those who submit to the reign of Jesus in advance will be ready when he comes to rule. And so in verse 23 of chapter 4, it says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Uh, I don't know about you, when uh, Almost Heaven moved into town, one of the things I was most excited about about having a new ice cream shop in town was that the, the fact that they give out samples. Um, samples are my jam. I was really, really curious to get to taste all the things that they had. Um, when you see the miraculous in the life of Jesus, you need to think about that, that that is a sample of the kingdom that is coming. It's a glimpse. It's a taste of the future that God's going to bring when he reigns in everything. So healing is a picture of what's coming when sickness is no more. 
Does that make sense? It's a glimpse of what will happen when his reign covers everything. And this is what the people had been praying for. If we're going to go through Matthew faithfully, we're going to have to talk about the kingdom. So let's, let's talk about the kingdom of God for a second. The word kingdom in Matthew is, is synonymous with this idea of the Messiah reigning or ruling. It's the authority that God has over what is his. And it's this anticipation that the people of Israel had uh, of the day where God's reign is fully visible in all things. Like in everything, everywhere, God's reign would be seen. This is the prayer. There's actually a prayer that still prayed, the Kaddish, where they're praying that God's reign would be seen in their day, that the kingdom would encapsulate and cover and saturate every facet of everything from the deepest depths of the human heart to our structures, our land, the cosmos, everything would be a place where God's reign is fully seen and that the brokenness of sin and death would be fully eradicated from it. This is this picture of the kingdom. So when you see phrases like the kingdom is near, what Jesus is saying is the day where God's reign is seen in the world is right here. Where you see your kingdom come. It's a prayer. When we pray his kingdom come and his will will be done, we're asking that Jesus' reign would be visibly seen in our world. That what it looks like when God is the king would be visibly seen and known. And when we read a verse like in chapter 6 where it says to seek first the kingdom, it is this challenge to the people of God to prioritize in their life seeking to see God's reign in every facet of their own lives. The kingdom is an important concept for us to wrap our minds around if we're going to understand what Jesus is bringing into the world. He's proclaiming not only its proximity, that it's close, it's near. He's saying it's at hand, like it is, it's, it's tangible if you reach out. And everywhere that Jesus goes, not only does he proclaim this kingdom, but he demonstrates this kingdom. Where Jesus goes, the kingdom is seen. Which brings us to his sermon in chapters 5 through 7. The Sermon on the Mount answers these questions. What's the character of the kingdom? Like what's its ethic? How should a kingdom person live? And this is the beautiful thing. If, If this new Moses was not only ushering in the kingdom but bringing a new divine teaching down, then this sermon is... Uh, this beautiful offering to the people of God to understand what life in the kingdom of God should look like when he arrives. And I'll I'll tell you, um, this sermon is tough. It's not tough because it's not good news. Matter of fact, some of it is so beautiful and moving. But it's tough because every time we read the Sermon on the Mount, we should feel the tension between where we are and what a life where the kingdom of God is fully displayed looks like. We should feel the tension between where we are and what it would look like for every facet of our own life to be a place where the kingdom of God, the reign of God is seen in us. So I want to highlight a couple things that are important themes throughout this sermon for us to grapple with together in our time in the Word. The first is that uh, the way of the kingdom is humble. As we read the Sermon on the Mount, we see right off the bat that the kingdom of God is not a place for the proud and for the powerful, but it's a place for the people 
who are hungry and humble and willing to receive from God. I mean, he says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. They will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of things evil against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. This series of Beatitudes, as they're, as they're known historically, they, they absolutely topple over the idea of the kingdom that most of his audience were bringing in. And that is the kingdom is this place where we are the haves and not the have-nots. We're the people who have power. We are the people who have victory. Where he's just saying, blessed are the people who don't have, who are poor, who are mourning, who are in this low place. Which is like only good news to people who are in that place, right? But most of us, when we find ourselves in this place, if you were to go by the way that the world would think about the way a reigning king would rule, then someone who is mourning is not a person who's living in the kingdom. Where Jesus says, no, if you're mourning, you're blessed. Because you'll be comforted. If you're poor, you'll, you're blessed. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're blessed because you'll be filled. It's the people who are actually humble and lowly and empty who are in a position to know and understand and experience the kingdom of God. It's famously said that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't work the way we do. And if we've ever questioned that, then we have to look at the coronation of Jesus, who is crowned with a crown of thorns, and displayed as the king of the Jews through his self-sacrificing love on the cross. The kingdom of God does not look like maybe what we think it does. It requires us to have a lower posture, a humility. I'm reminded when Paul teaches about humility in Philippians, he doesn't teach that humility is based on our own sinfulness or brokenness. He lifts up Jesus as the picture of humility. The humility is not about how sinful you are. It's about your willingness to let go of what's rightfully yours to follow God. He says, Jesus, although he was equal with God, he didn't consider it something to hang on to, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself by becoming a, a human being. And through that was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. The mark of humility was never how sinful Jesus was because he was not sinful. The mark of humility was his willingness to take the low path of a servant and humble himself. He says, this is the mark of the kingdom of God. Another thing that we see in this is that the way of the kingdom is holy. As you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount, you get the sense that he's not lowering the bar for people in the kingdom. And matter of fact, it seems to get higher as we read. For example, he says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses 
or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Or later on in chapter 5, he says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is teaching that his kingdom is this place for people of a low disposition who are humble. But he's also saying the bar of holiness is higher than you think. Think of the most righteous person you know. If your holiness isn't above theirs, you're not ready to, to enter into the kingdom. There should be a desperation in the people of God hearing this. You see Jesus kind of cranking it up. You realize that he didn't come to offer a way out of holiness but instead to enable holiness to actually happen in the people of God. He doesn't say, well, I'm just going to do away with all this old law and we're going to do it this a different way. He says, no, I've actually come so that the law's purpose would be completely fulfilled and not an inkling of the law will be removed until everything that it was set out to accomplish is higher. So you have a low posture and you have a high holiness in the kingdom of God. The next thing, the way of the kingdom requires honesty, not just hard work. I love this and I hate this because Jesus pushes past making sure you're doing the right things and he goes to the heart of people in the Sermon of the Mount. Over and over, he highlights that it's not just good actions that we need, but we need a deep renovation of who we are at the core of ourselves. For instance, when he says... Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Jesus immediately calls to the carpet, you know what? If you're not willing to deal with you, you're not willing to be a person of the kingdom. Many of us are willing to deal with other people. We're willing to deal, like, you know what the problem is? It's them. <laughs> Where the kingdom of God, as he preaches, and he's like, murder? Yeah, that's a problem, but what about the hate in your heart? Adultery? Yeah, that's a problem, but what about the lust in your heart? Maybe you should just cut out your eye and fling it away if you're serious about living a holy life. And you hear Jesus raising this bar, but not only that, saying, you can't just deal with the outside actions. We have to deal with the corruption that is hardwired into you. Because of the bend that the fall has had on you. You were made in the image of God, but sin has corrupted facets of your life that if you do not realize that you are in a desperate place for God to do something there, you're just going to rely on your own righteous works, and it's not enough. He goes on in chapter 6. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you'll lose the reward from your Father in heaven. We're like, oh, gosh. Do you feel the bar? <laughs> Where he's like, well, my expectations of you, like the kingdom of God is a lowly place. It's a holy place. And it's a place where you have to be deeply honest about what's actually happening inside of you if you're ever going to experience the kingdom the way it's intended. He also says the way of the kingdom is received and not earned. This is important because Israel was kind of in a uh, be better and do more spirituality. 
Maybe you grew up in a church like that, where you feel like every sermon that you heard was like, well, you need to be better and you need to do more. (laughs) Be better than you are and do more than you're doing, and that's the kingdom of God. And Jesus definitely undercuts this in some incredible ways because it really highlights to us a Christianity that doesn't require Christ is not the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. A Christianity that doesn't require Christ is not the kingdom of God. Like if you don't need Jesus to be like Jesus, you're not following this picture. When he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. It comes on the tail end of a conversation where he's like, the birds of the field, I take care of them. The flowers of the field, I take care of them. And you, you mean more than they do to me. But he's like, you, you seek the wrong things. You trust in the wrong things. And it's not about your money and it's not about the material goods that you have. And it's not about your righteous actions in front of everyone. It's about having a heart that is desperate for God to do what only he can. And if you seek that, if you prioritize that, if you fix your eyes on seeing the reign of God in your own life, all of the things that don't matter as much, they get taken care of. If you will seek his kingdom and live righteously, all of the things that most of your world is concerned about deeply just take care of themselves. I love the Sermon on the Mount because it stirs both hunger and desperation in the people of God. I think if you read through chapters 5 through 7 this week, if you read it this week, two things probably happened. You probably leaned forward and saying, I want that in my life. And you felt the challenge of being like, how in the world can I ever live this out? There's a stirring in us that says, man, I was made for for Jesus to reign and for that kind of kingdom life to be the way that I operate in the world. But also there's this, this desperation, this gap that shows up where we're like, how in the world? Jesus, where do we even begin? And I would say, if you're there, I've got good news for you. There's no kingdom life apart from the reign of the king. As Jesus teaches about what life in the kingdom will be like, the underlying assumption is that there is a king on the throne who is giving this life to all who come ready to receive it. Who is pouring out the only pathway to a kingdom life because he is the king. If you hear the teaching of Jesus and that puts you in a desperate place, good news, Jesus, he blesses those who are hungry and thirsty and lowly, who come saying, God, apart from you, I can't do this because we can't. People who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who long to see the kingdom come, who seek first the kingdom. The good news is that he is a God who pours out his life and his kingdom on people who come to him and say, Jesus, be the king of me. Be the king of my heart. Don't just transform me to look more religious. At the core of my being, 
make me more like your kingdom. Make me more like your son. Because when we cry out for holiness, what we're crying out for is to be like Jesus, who is holy. When we're saying, God, I don't, I don't want to just have empty actions. I don't want to pray like a hypocrite. I don't want to fat. I don't want to do these things. I want the life of the kingdom in my life. Then Jesus hears that and he honors that. He says, blessed are you if you come in that position because that's who I pour my kingdom into. That's who I give my life to. His teaching always puts us in a place where the kingdom of God becomes more grand and our desperation becomes more low. Because when we come to this place where we are like, oh, Jesus, the only way that I will ever experience the kingdom of God in this world is if you are the king. He says, I've got good news for you. That I went to the cross and I took sin to the grave with me and I rose victorious so that you would be forgiven and liberated. And I am seated at the right hand of the Father. And all of heaven and earth is mine. I have authority over it all. And I will pour my spirit upon you. So that you can live life in the kingdom of God today. So the question we have to come to is then how can I experience the kingdom of God? How can I experience it today in my own life? Now I'm going to invite our band up as we begin to close our time and even look to the table as a time of response. But I want to offer four things to you as ways practically we can say, okay, so what does it mean then? If this is the way the kingdom is, how do I welcome it in? And I would say the first thing is you have to come with a low and humble posture. If you think that you can do what Jesus has asked you to do and be who Jesus has asked you to be apart from Jesus, do you have to empty yourself of your pride? And say, God, I, I have to come to a place where I hunger and thirst for you. Where the life that you give is the life I welcome. It could be that you need to let Jesus raise the bar of holiness in your life. Maybe there's things that you've been justifying because you're not under law, right? You're under grace. Where you realize the purpose of grace was not to do away with the law. But it was to enable by the Spirit of God to, for you to full, fully be faithful and righteous in all of the ways that he requires of you. So we have to quit excusing sin because we have grace and instead say, like Paul, how can those of us who've died to sin still live in it? God, I want your holiness in my life. God, I want to be like Christ in this way. It could be that you need to start being honest about your own heart. Because sometimes we can say, hey, I'm not like those people, so I'm all right. But what that does is that protects us from allowing the Spirit of God to work his way into the deep places where we need deep transformation. And sometimes it takes us being willing to say, God, I'm not going to try to fool myself by pointing at somebody else's mistakes. Instead, I'm going to say, God, remove the, the plank in my own eye. If there's anything in me that needs to be rooted out so that I can be more like Christ, then come, Lord Jesus. We have to boldly pray that prayer. And the last thing is, maybe you just need to say, God, I want you to reign in my life. If you're not a Christian, that's, that's the invitation to believe that Jesus is the king and that he will receive you and forgive you and cleanse you. That he'll come into your life and make you a new creation. And for those of you who are in Christ, maybe it's the recognition that you never leave the journey 
of Jesus becoming more and more the king of your heart. It's not a one-time decision. It's an everyday reality where we welcome Jesus and say, God, in any way where your kingdom is not seen in me, I'm going to humbly come and say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. As he teaches in this sermon, <laughs> I will seek first the kingdom and live righteously and you'll, you'll take care of the rest. We're going to take a few moments and we're going to reflect together and then we're going to have a time of response together. And I want to encourage you to come humble and hungry to be willing to let Jesus make you more like Jesus today. To welcome his kingdom and his reign in your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, we recognize that we cannot live and experience your kingdom apart from your reign. And we thank you now that on this side of the cross, we see that your death and your resurrection your ascension and the pouring out of your spirit, Lord, that you have set us up to not only see your kingdom, but to participate in your kingdom, to be a place where the reign of God is seen, that our lives would be like a sample spoon of the kingdom of God in this world. So come Holy Spirit. There's places where we need to empty ourselves of pride and bring conviction. There's places where we need to be humble enough to ask so that we can receive. Lord, give us the courage and the faith to come to you. There's places in our heart you want to root out and bring deep renovation, Lord. I pray that process would begin today. And if there's any part of us that's resistant to your kingdom, Lord, we pray um, that we would be a people who ready ourselves in advance for the way that you will reign in all things.